Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. Today I've got Markel Lee from AOE Creative on board talking about something that's exceedingly important, especially in these days with esports franchising in regards to branding for teams. We also go on a massive tangent to talk about the fighting games community. What if I told you that there was an esport where the prize pool for the biggest tournament in the world was $35,000 USD and the viewership was around 250000 concurrent, which is more than most other, say, PC games that are getting five hundred to $2 million plus prize pool as a total. It does exist. We talk about that. We talk a lot about the Call of Duty uh, World League, the branding coming out. We talk about teams like FaZe and 100 Thieves, what they're doing well. And we talk about how the Houston Outlaws was set up from zero to hero, how they still managed to have one of the largest followings in the industry while placing in the bottom 50% of the ladder. It's a great discussion. We're glad I had this one. Hopefully you enjoy it too. Enjoy. Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Markel, thanks so much for coming on today, mate. I'm really interested in chatting about something that I don't really know too much about, which is branding and esports. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on the podcast, man. I'm very interested in kind of talking a little bit about that and, you know, where OE is and where we're planning to go. Yeah, we were talking a little bit pre-recording about um, you know, my lack of knowledge in this area. Because I think for me, as with so many people that work in this space, we're good with using brands that maybe already exist. You know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm quite proficient in working with influencers, whether it's Twitch or YouTube or TikTok, but they've already built their brand. They've already generally got their graphics, their identity and who they are. And I think that, you know, where you're sitting right now, to prephrase a lot of our conversation, is the next stage of esports when you've got these, some people call them, for better or for worse, money money orgs that come out, you know, they might yeah. get themselves a, a large franchise spot. They might apparate out of thin air. They've never existed before from the grassroots, and they're going to need some really solid branding to be able to compete with the likes of people like Fnatic and, and FaZe Clan and such that have been around since the dawn of esports. So I guess that's where you come in. Yes, definitely. Um, th- again, there's a whole bunch of different brands within the space, uh, things that we've done and worked with in the past. Uh, we like to work with brands that already established themselves. So like you said like we've worked with uh, the top tier esports teams in in internationally and the nation for sure, um, as well as worked on brands completely from scratch. Uh, especially when you think about the stuff that we've done with uh, the Houston Outlaws and Overwatch League, mm-hmm. um, as well as creating brands within brands that are already established. Um, so all of those have different ways that you kind of want to uh, promote. Uh, and work on their brand strategy and creative marketing when it comes to online and also live fan activation. And I mean, all of it is very fun and interesting and, and definitely exciting to be a part of, especially when esports is building and growing as fast as it is right now. Someone tweeted at, at me the other day after my last podcast with Stuart Chisholm, the, the CEO of, of HiRes, um, about a big esports podcast drinking game. 
where any time <laughs> that, that Chris says the word non-endemic, you know, take a shot. And, and, you know, a few things that I like to say, like, that's interesting or that's a good segue. And I feel like if someone was to start a counter right now, like the ones that the bouncers use at the front of a club would be every time we say the word brand or brands <laughs> in this podcast, because I reckon we're going to hit at least 100. Uh, I mean, you can... Yeah. That's definitely a funny idea. Um, I definitely think that would be a funny content creation piece. Uh, seeing some people kind of do it before, uh, as I come from like more so the fighting game community, uh, I think the word on the podcast or on the actual shot take would be like mix up or yeah, <laughs> exactly. footsies or something like that, where you hear majority of the time. Um, but then they'll probably get people a little bit more uh, drunk than they want to if it's taking shots of whiskey <laughs> or something. Exactly. I don't think you're going to remember anything by the end of the podcast. Let's put it that <laughs> way. All. But hey, you let's uh, yeah, let's let's kick off how we normally do. Let us know a little bit more about yourself and your history because we we haven't chatted before, so I'm I'm here to learn. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, again, Markel Lee, man. I'm, I've been in this gaming industry for I'll say about ten years now. Um, mm-hmm. Started off low key, like a lot of people don't normally do, right? Everybody wanted. At that time, you know, gaming and esports was growing, but it still wasn't as big as nowhere near as big as it is now. Right. Um, it's, it was early in the scene where everybody was trying to make their clan, you know, uh, so it was definitely about starting off uh, a, a team with a couple of my different friends. Uh, we were really heavy in like Call of Duty and Halo um, and, and trying to jump into those competitions and events. But as most people know, uh, when you have an entrepreneur mindset, uh, you have to make sure you work with those who who feel the same way. Mm. Uh, and so for me, that transitioned me over to, again, working with other small teams. But I found a, a local team in um, my hometown, Dallas, that was doing um, events, um, mainly in the fighting game community area. Um, and with that, that helped me to... Uh, I jumped in and told them that I'll rebrand them and help them out with their events and promotion and, and advertisement. Um, and started working on like their, their reg- regional fighting game tournament, uh, which was absolute battle, uh, with Pendex Gaming. Um, and from there, it, it was a great segue for me to show my skills in marketing and branding, um, to the point where I started getting seen, um, from larger groups within the fighting game community to do bigger events. Um, mm. one of them being, uh, or two of them being CEO and Evo, um, doing the production side of those things, as well as helping out with some of the, the marketing assets. Uh, and from there, again, uh, it just kept transitioning. It's kind of snowball effect, um, where I started working with, uh, news companies as well as other larger esports teams. Um, uh, like e- EG was one of the ones that I worked with early, um, for a while as well as, again, getting to the position where I got the opportunity to work with a lot of strong creators at Infinite Esports as the creative director next to my business partner right now at AOE Creative, um, Simon Bennett, who was the VP of marketing. In, so let's let's start the conversation a little bit more about the fighting games community. It's something that's been really interesting to me for so long. So like here... Here in Australia, or even even around the world, one of my main suggestions for any mainstream brand to get into the space is is for them to see bums on seats, to see people in person. And there's no better community in my eyes than the fighting games community because they love to turn up, they love to get excited, they love to see things in person. However, looking at the traditional esports side of it and looking at the prize pools and how many tier one global teams are in there, it's quite lacking in the in the fighting games market. 
Do you think that it's because the fighting games market tries to keep to themselves a little bit more? Is there a lack of commercialization, a lack of branding maybe? I'd, I'd love to learn some ideas from you. Yeah, man. I mean, the fighting game community is very interesting. Um, I mean, it, it's I have a strong love for the fighting game community. What um, I, I'm not that great of a fighter, uh, but I love actually watching. I think it's one of the best like spectator uh, esports out there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think most people just don't fully know that and embrace that. And at least for the brands that I've seen within the space, I, I think they're just afraid to uh, actually activate and advertise within that community um, because they feel like they don't fully know how to speak to that demographic. Um, there's definitely a lot of potential. And I think there's uh, a opportunity for the fighting game community in the future to blow up big. I mean, as of right now, um, even though, I mean, there are certain games that, you know, I prefer to watch more so, but Smash Bros., could easily be a tier tier one, mm. um, but the problem is there's no like you said before money flowing in, um, and there's no opportunities where actual large sponsors understand the value of that community, and nobody's ever really pushed that and expressed that um, to these sponsors. And there's opportunities where I've been trying to even explain that, but most people see the large numbers of League of Legends and Dota and CS:GO. And they see those those massive numbers, right? And they're like, "Well, I got to get my foot in that door." Yes, but at the same time, your two, three, maybe five million that you're going to put to try to get your brand even showcased on a League of Legends broadcast, you spend not even a quarter of that in the fighting that community, and you can pretty much take the whole event, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and people don't fully understand that. And um, again, it's it's. It's a very interesting demographic. It's it's the most diverse in esports and gaming, um, and I think that's what makes it so special. Um, is the fact that you have all these different people from all walks of life, from all areas. Um, you have men, women. You have uh, black, white, Asian, uh, everybody Hispanic. You have everybody in this in this group, and they love what they do, and they just having a great time. And mm. you see that different like of the community and the crowd when you go to these different events compared to what you'll see at a League of Legends or a CSGO. And it's not saying that either one is better than the other, but you do notice when you go to these different events that type of uh, energy. Yeah, and I think that part of the reason I love it is I see a lot of the Counter-Strike of old in there from when I used to go to small internet cafe tournaments and you know people went there to catch up every every couple of months and you know running them myself across... CS Source and into CSGO, et cetera. And that kind of wanes when the more professionalism and money comes into the industry. So that's part of the advantage. But it's still, you know, it's it's hard to watch sometimes when, you know, Evo, the, the biggest fighting games championship in, in the world, you know, and Smash Brothers easily, like you said, could be a T1 esport. The first place prize for this tournament is $21,000 USD. Yeah. And, you know, 35K yeah. total prize pool. And fourth place wins 1,400. And if you're flying from you know, third place I'm looking here is from France, and that's 3.5K. He would have spent about 3.5K on flights and accommodation and food just to be there. And he's third in the world in this tournament. And exactly. I wonder, putting my, um, I guess, my marketing and sponsorship hat on, I guess some of it's that's hard in the past working at Thermaltake and Corsair is that fighting games players don't use a lot of equipment, so it's hard to sell them a CPU, a graphics card, a motherboard if they're using a fighting stick and a, and a console. 
Um, and they're often not using headsets either, so it's hard to brand that. So that might be part of it, but still there's there's so much ripe disruption for mainstream brands to get in there. You know, DHL is in with um, is in with ESL. What's stopping them from, you know, getting into this kind of market or a clothing company or, you know, automotive, et cetera, et cetera? And, and, and that's why I think, again, it was what I was mentioning before is the the fear of the unknown, um, knowing mm. exactly how to market to that, that community. Yes, the biggest issue for sure, the biggest thing that helps out um, a lot of the top tier esports is that they're on PC. So there's definitely a lot of PC parts and, and uh, manufacturers that want to jump into that realm um, and showcase their new product, things that they know that they're going to be able to buy the new peripherals. And for the fighting game community, you don't have that. But that is an opportunity for a non-endemic uh, sponsor to come in and get involved. And with the potential of how much you can stretch your money, like seriously, with less less than a, like half a million dollars, you know, you can possibly get all of the top tier esports team involved. I mean, all esports events involved in your campaign and your push, um, yeah. just for them that you care about the community. Um, the fighting game community does take its flag because there's a lot of grassroots, but it's also what makes it very strong. And in order for those communities to grow, um, people have to understand how that works. Now, uh, while I was there, yes, there is an issue where most fighting game communities have the issue of uh, thinking that, you know, if esports come in, it'll destroy what makes the fighting game community what it is. But then there's also people on the other side of the fences saying, no, there's ways where we can implement it and do it properly. And I think one of the companies that did it properly in that sense was E-League. Um, when they did the first Street Fighter um, uh, tournament uh, on their on their actual channel, uh, it was pretty solid. Like most people were worried about it. Like, well, they're going to change us. They're not going to allow us to be ourselves. Um, but what they end up seeing is that they were making those changes on the stream every day. They kept streaming different tournaments and different group um, elimination events that they were listening to community and giving the players a lot more time to show off their personality. And that's the biggest thing that makes, again, that community amazing is the personalities are so strong. Mm. Um, and it's because it's a 1v1, right? It's not a team base. You, you don't have to focus on everybody. You have to focus on yourself. And it's much more of an intimate, uh, uh, you know, view when you're watching these players play and you get to see them pop off or you get to see them get hype or you get to see them, you know, hurt and, and cry on stage or something to feel that, that emotion, um, that drives them because of how close that match was. Um, and, Right now, I just think that no one has really found out the best way of pushing those personalities and especially a lot of teams that are in that space because of the money isn't that much. There's not a lot of opportunities to uh, boost and provide more options and uh, for the players to really showcase themselves. Like you said, mm-hmm. League of Legends, Dota, they get paid massive amounts of money just to play the game, let alone the money they get for winning, right? Um, yep. when, when you got to come out your own dime and the most that you might get is 5,000, uh, <laughs> when you already have to fly out to this event, get a hotel, um, not do work, you know, to step away to actually do this. Uh, it's not that encouraging, you know, when it's like, Hey, I, I got other things to do and I have bills to pay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, I believe there will be an opportunity where some sponsors will realize the mass appeal um, at a fighting game event, actually get in, do it properly and bring that community up from the, the, the ashes in a sense um, and actually provide it. I mean, 
Michael Fox attempted to do so. Um, of course, they had some other internal issues that uh, made it very difficult for themselves, but they were a start in trying to help those players get legitimate wages in order to actually build and grow. Um, but there have to be other teams that actually put in and uh, put in as much effort to grow in that community and help with those fan bases wow. out. Mm, exactly. I mean, I, well, like while you were just talking, I, I just looked up some some really quick numbers, for example. So for those people listening, here here's the size and the scale of, of that community. Super Smash Brothers at, at Evo reached a peak Twitch TV concurrent viewership of 238,000. Tekken reached a peak of 214,000. Street yeah. Fighter at 163.3. Um, Baz Blue Cross Tag Battle, at which is a game I've never heard of, um, at, at 90.8. So if you even compare that number one, Smash Brothers at 238, the MDL Chengdu um, Dota 2 Major, which just happened over the last um, over the last weekend, which was the winning team had an Australian in it, which is fantastic, KP from TNC Predator, um, that peaked at 353,000. So, you know, 30% increase. However, the prize pool for that tournament was $1 million, not 30,000. <laughs> so you can see yeah. the major difference and because it is a major that is supported by the developer for sure but even if you half that it's still it's still more than 10x <laughs> what uh i mean you also have an issue too man think, think about how big how massive uh super smash bros would be if nintendo actually cared to uh help build that community up competitively uh, Nintendo has been very difficult about actually supporting Super Smash Bros. At, to the point where it's almost non-existent, right? Mm. Um, and that community by itself is still reaching those numbers and getting uh, over 2,000 people to sign up at an event to go and compete. Mm. Uh, and, and now think about if uh, Super Smash Bros. actually put in some money, actually put in some time, actually created a proper tour system um, to support those players and those needs. Again, it can easily be a tier one. And there's others. I mean, some of those games do get some type of support, but it's not nearly as much support as, again, you see uh, League of Legends or Dota or Rocket League, et cetera. Um, you, you don't see that within that community, but they definitely have an opportunity. And like I said, I mean, that's just one of the, the few that I definitely watch. Like I said, I'm interested in, in a lot of other communities as well, uh, but I do have a special place uh, in, for that community, mainly because they help build my career to where it is now. Um, and a lot of those guys that are still there are still real like hardcore family to me. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I think an, an interesting thing to note for people listening too is that most of that $30,000 prize pool, like you were saying, is actually funded by the people who are playing in the tournament. It's quite common 100%. that finding games in some ways is, is sitting where I used to be running Counter-Strike tournaments back in 2014. So when I used to run my TT Hub tournaments, which was a 16-team CSGO tournament at a dingy internet cafe here in Melbourne, that was that was quite disgusting. It it would be it would cost me eight dollars per computer, and I have to hire about eight teams worth of computers, and then there'd be the um, 16 times five players that would compete, and that all pay twenty five dollars per player, minus the eight bucks per PC, and that was the prize pool. Didn't pay myself for anything for running it. And that's very similar to, you know, where the fighting games community sit at the moment, where you might have what they call a pot bonus, which a sponsor might put in or the developer might put in. And I've seen that with Evo, where the developer might put in an extra 10000 extra 15000 to boost that. But ultimately, I saw that 
you know, I can't I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like, you know, Smash Brothers, you pay thirty dollars to compete. Every player that competes, we put ten, fifteen dollars into the prize pool. So that's not even coming from sponsors primarily. That's at Evo level. I mean, I've seen some that are um you'll pay like maybe ten to get into the tournament. You pay five per tournament that you enter. So five dollars per game that you in and that goes to the prize pool. Mm. And and so it, you can see a much lower um number as well compared to some Different, you know, again, games, esports, depending on the uh, actual tournament. Um, but it's, it's like I said, but you see how strong those people come out, even with little to nothing to gain from it. And something else that I think is very interesting, and I think if a smart uh, sponsor is smart, they will try to find a way to get involved in, is the, the fighting game community does something that I don't see um, in other esports. And maybe they do, but maybe I just didn't run into that. And that's where these players, again, for the fact that it's a huge open bracket tournament, right? Um, they know that I'm going out to this event. I might go to Evo, right? There's 2,000 people in this one tournament that I'm in. And so everybody's competing to get to the top. I know I'm not going to make the top. Mm. <laughs> I know I'm not going to that Sunday finals. So what I'm going to do is go to this event, have a good time. I'm going to learn as much as I can from anyone that I can get around. Like I'll have my own setup in my own room and I'll go and compete against certain people. And some people will even uh, challenge each other for their, for, for money. Right. So I'll see you and I'll be like, Hey, you know, I want to go against you, man. How about $10? I could beat you first of five. Mm. And, and it's a way for people to be like, Hey, I made something back the way at least I can justify my um, expenses to come out to this mm. event. I can at least try that back. Um, and, and I don't see that anywhere else. And it also helps again, that community stay really strong with one another, as well as leveling each other up, um, indirectly or non or indirectly, depending on, you know, the situation, right? If it's your friend, they're trying to teach you how to, the matchup works. And if it's somebody that you don't know, sometimes people are okay. We're like, Hey man, I don't, I don't really know how to go against, uh, you know, M Bison or something. Like, how, what's the best strategy? And then you go and play and, Again, you see that a lot, and it's something that I really haven't seen in other esports, and it's always something that I really appreciate it because it's it's shows that level of community um, and focus. And I think that if a sponsor is smart, they'll find ways outside of just going to the event and sponsoring as a uh, featured sponsor of the or title sponsor of the event to show that they really care outside of it, outside of just parties and stuff. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that's my little rundown and my little spill about the fighting game community. But yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a very great community. Everybody has faults, of course, but um, there's definitely some some magic being made that people just don't know about. Yeah, I think in in my eyes, it's it's the absolute perfect starter culture for a community. It's where you know I would say that CS:GO is the is probably the best and also the most viewed esport in Australia. And a lot of it is because it started exactly the same way where I see the fighting games community today. You know, I used to be able to get 16 teams to an internet cafe to turn up to play tournaments. And yep. every single LAN party had Counter-Strike on at the time. And there was always at least two online leagues happening. And then there was at least at least one or two what we'd call like a nationals every year where the top teams would play for, you know, maybe two to five grand prize pool or something like that. And it built that community where there were always so many things happening. People were turning up. People, you know, were discussing on forums and talking and meeting all the time that it made it easy to professionalize because there was already such a grassroots community there, that, a starter culture that you can pump money into and help grow. So 
if anyone's listening to this podcast who considers themselves an expert in the fighting against community, reach out. I'd love to chat. I'd love to help, but also I'd <laughs> love to get you on the podcast to to chat a bit more about it because it's so it's so interesting to me. And and with us here at Big Esports, as we work with more of these quote unquote non endemic brands outside of the general esports market, I mean that's where. You know, that's where the money has to come from, I think, for these fighting games, because like we said, they're not using headsets, they're not using keyboards and mice, etc. But also it's where a lot of the opportunity comes from because they're a very passionate audience. They're very engaged. And, you know, my favorite thing about them really is bums on seats. Like a, like a quick case study, we did a we did a, a small event with the burger restaurant that's like less than a mile from from our office. And it's it's tiny. And we packed it out with 88 people. And all they did was put $200, $250 into the pot the rest was funded by the entry fees. Um, they paid us a little bit for running it. We paid um, also Couch Warriors as a local community for running it too. And they sold $2,500 worth of milkshakes alone on the Sunday. <laughs> and this was a Sunday when that store is dead. There's no one there on the Sunday. And then there were 88 people. You can only fit about 20 in the store. So there's people all down the street talking, having a great time, exposed to a brand new audience. Um, so, you know, I mean, that small case study alone is fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, you can see that again, when you build a community, um, you, you'll see people come in and, and take care of exactly the stuff that they love. Right. Uh, outside of the, the fighting and community, something that was very similar and strong with the community aspect of things was, um, the stuff that we did with the Houston outlaws too. Mm. Um, and we marketed and campaigned to make sure that, uh, we took care of Southern Texas with the Houston outlaws because that's the region that uh, we were able to promote and do events in, uh, we made sure we took care of that, that community. We made sure that we catered to that community, spoke, um, the language of that community and did everything we could to give back, even though, uh, the Houston Outlaws was playing in LA because all the teams are playing in the Blizzard Arena. Um, but we did everything in our power, um, to build that and, and run that campaign. And you saw everybody come out heavy, um, every time that we were officially sponsoring, like even a watch party let alone when we actually had the opportunity to take um, the Houston Outlaws players out to Houston, Austin, San Antonio, do like the first player uh, city tour mm. uh, where it was over a thousand people plus at each venue or at each location um, looking to get their auto, like a uh, signed autograph of, you know, on their merch or on their poster or something that they brought in handmade. And I mean, they was just giving out gifts and, Again, community is the biggest thing, and it's something that I feel that a lot of teams um, in esports right now haven't really been doing properly or haven't had the opportunity to actually go out and do more fan-activated stuff outside of just going to the event and doing signings there. Um, I think there's some giving back that some teams should be doing in order to build that brand and, and build that growth and so that they actually care about the people that care about them. Yeah, so let's let's chat about that a little bit more. So you know, a bit in the intro, like I said, for better or for worse, sometimes they they call them money orgs. Or you know, if you're buying into a franchise like Overwatch, they they're not letting you use your previous name of Opti- Optic Gaming or Fnatic or Phase Clan or anything like that. You've got to create a brand new brand. So where, I mean, where do you even start? It seems like a monumental task just to make a new brand out of nowhere and try to try to get your first hundred thousand Twitter followers. Yeah, that's that's been the scariest thing for a lot of teams right, in this space is how do we do this? I, I know when it originally started, I know a few people that were very skeptical about the uh, regionalizing of teams um, saying that's probably not going to work. Like it's, it's not going to be a good idea to make a team based in a certain location. Um, and honestly, I feel that that's 
not true. I mean, I think, or at least with the stuff that I've seen and the stuff that we worked on, um, making it when we made the Houston Outlaws, it was making it about Houston, making it about Texas, mm. um, giving it that feel, right? Um, and I mean, I know you in Australia and stuff, but I'm, I'm sure you know and heard about Texas <laughs> in some type of limelight. Most people do know um, that we have a big ego here you know, in Texas. And so it was really focusing hard on what makes that. And, and a lot of times when we were at events or watch parties or uh, the player tour or the block party that we ran, most people came through and said, hey, I'm, I'm glad that I'm in the city um, with a team that represents us. Like Houston, it has a very huge sports centric um, feel to it. Right, they they're really prideful of their sports teams. And when the Houston Outlaws came, a lot of people were very excited. Right, like oh, I'm a gamer, and now I have a team that represents me. Um, and because I don't really care about football, or, or um, I kind of watch basketball, but I do love esports, and this team represents me. Um, and with these new franchises and you see these other teams come out, we're going back to your previous question about how do you actually promote and uh, market this or how do you even start for us? And I just use the outlaws. Um, the goal was to build a team, like you said, that focuses on the community there. Um, and I think that's exactly what you need to think about. Like what makes Texas, Texas? Um, we have a Houston outlaws team. What do we want to focus on? And we focus on, again, if you've seen the logo, um, it's the two pistols uh, that are connected together that look like a skull, mm. right? And those skulls look like, you know, a bull, bull horns, a bull yeah. head. And it was to also symbolize, of course, long horns in Texas, but also, you know, the Texans logo, uh, which is, again, uh, Houston's NFL team, um, is also a bull. Um, but Ours is more, you know, a, a little bit, a lot different than that, but it was to symbolize that and get people kind of that, that tie back to the community and to the city. Um, it also even went back to, of course, picking the colors. You couldn't be optic gaming. So if it was going to be Houston Outlaws, um, how do you make that work? Right. And going back to the, the black and green, because originally when we was working with Overwatch, they almost wanted it to be red, white, and blue. And, you know, even though that does work as an idea of being Texas, the Lone Star, those colors, or the NFL team with the Texans, which is also dark blue with red and white, um, we was like, no, this still needs to tie back to its original foundings, which was optic, mm -hmm. um, but also stand out by itself and be its own entity within Overwatch. Um, and, and we, even to the point where picking players, we wanted to make sure that the team felt, uh, almost like America's team in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, it's to kind of go with the, the prideful aspect of Texas, uh, especially in Houston. Um, so kind of going pretty hardcore on the patriotic feel, the, the honor and, and hype about being a, a Texan, a Texas mainly half. Um, we wanted to make sure that the team felt that way. So like some teams, of course, they were looking at 100% winning. Like we need to make sure that we win 100%. And we wanted to make sure we win too, but we wanted to focus on picking players um, that were national, like from America, as well as maybe a few Europeans and a few South Koreans. But you'll see teams like New York who picked an all South Korean team mm -hmm. or London Spitfire who picked an all South Korean mm -hmm. team. And, and a lot of people were saying, even in those communities that, 
they don't feel like they're connected at all with those teams, even though they represent their hometown. Yeah. Um, and so we, we thought about that, right? You, you have to think about your brand. And with us, the whole idea of our brand is, you know, be the outlaws, feel that, that Southern hospitality type feel where we mm-hmm. take care of the people we with, take care of the community. But also, and, you know, if people talk mess about our team, then we talk, we talk mess back as fun. And we did that a couple of times with uh, the Dallas Fuel. It's just stuff that, you know, people need to think about when creating a brand is what's the actual story? Why do people care? Um, what does it mean to represent um, your team or for them to actually be happy to support your stuff down the street? and let people know about your team and why they love your team. Yeah, and it, and it seems to be such an important thing in the Overwatch League, especially now with these home games happening too, right? If you don't have these strong following, you don't have the strong branding, who's going to turn up <laughs> to your home games? Correct, and and that's what um, one of the biggest things right now is I, I'm sure a lot of teams are sweating thinking about that um, because, yeah. I mean, even if we get out the Overwatch League, right, um, a lot of the teams that we worked with within the space have been you know, the top esports team, top five esports teams. We've been in that, that realm working with a lot of them for a long time. And what a lot of these top tier esports teams, they all say the same thing, right? Which is, you know, I really don't know how to market my brand. I really don't know how to, like, we made a logo. It was cool. Like, we really don't understand. We really don't have a reason why our logo was what it was. Mm. We don't have a story. It was something that we made and thought it was nice. And then we made graphics around it. And, and there it is. But nowadays, we're, like you said, those money teams coming in or these teams with strong legacies within the esports community. You cannot make a mediocre brand anymore. Um, mm. You have to think about that at the beginning. You have to figure out, again, why anybody cares about your brand. Why do people want to follow your brand? Um, what is the look, feel, and tone of your brand? You have to be able to express that nowadays um, because just making a team and going with it, unless you are winning every tournament you are in, you will fall behind um, and, and be overshadowed by these other teams who's either already created a legacy or are thinking consciously about their brand at this, at this time. Mm. What do you think it's going to look like in 2020 when the first home games start happening? Do you think that they're going to get packed stadiums? <laughs> I think that's going to be a tough one. I think for 2020, I think the the good thing is um, they're not doing where the teams have their own home stadium just yet. So they're not putting home stadiums all the way. I think they're. I think that's a little bit too early. Um, but I think as of right now, I think they will fill out their spaces, um, mainly because of the fact that it'll be the first time that the team's actually home people who love the Overwatch League get the opportunity to go see their favorite team as well as a, a few other teams, uh, similar to what happened last year when they were testing it out in Dallas with Dallas Fuel. Um, it was it was pretty packed, right? A lot of people came out like, oh, they're in my hometown. There was people from Houston that came out, Austin that came out, um, all over, and even Oklahoma, all the surrounding states and stuff all came in to, to go to the event. Um, and I think 2020, if they're doing kind of more so the roadshow feel, I think it'll be very well for them uh, initially. I am worried about the moment in time where they're telling teams that uh, they need to have a stadium to run events every weekend. I think that is going to be a little problematic. Um, but I think as of next year, the teams that have been doing very well with promoting themselves and building their brand and creating that story and 
working hard to kind of do what they need to do for their own communities within the space, we'll have a, a pretty packed venue um, when they actually do the home games. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one. You know, there's on on one side of the coin, it's it, it's great to kind of force that professionalism. You know, Riot has has done that a lot in the past, especially in Australia. You know, they they gutted their prize pool, they created a a local studio, they back-end funded teams to help them, and they said, look, we're, we're making this professional, so we're going to join in with you too. You know, you need a team house, you need to be paying minimum um, match payments, necessarily call it a salary, and you need to pa- you know, you need to play every week from a studio. And then obviously Overwatch has started to do that, and, and now they've taken it to the next level with these home and away games. For, for me, I guess the next question I wanted to ask you as well is, I'll, I'll start off with an observation. So the Overwatch World Cup, um, and for those people who don't know, it's it's different from the Overwatch um, League that we're talking about. So the World Cup is country versus country. I I went to the Sydney um, the the Sydney kind of finals or the, or the Sydney qualifiers here back in 2017, and it was it was okay. about 1,800 tickets. I think it was completely sold out. Um, there was Australia, Team Australia was there, Team Finland, and a, and a few others as well. And um, the Aussies either came first or second. It was a great experience. But the thing that I noticed there was that everyone was there for the game. They weren't there for the players. That even though it was a packed crowd, the crowd was going crazy. The merchandise line, it was like that. You know, the the merchandise booth would open at ten a.m. By nine thirty, there was a line of three hundred people. And by nine forty-five, and by sorry, ten forty-five, the whole thing was sold out before even the end of the line had gotten to the merchandise booth. And it was a packed crowd; everyone paid tickets to be there. But the team Australia, team Finland, they could walk around even with their jerseys on among people, and people wouldn't really stop them, take photos of them, even though thirty minutes beforehand they were cheering crazily for them on stage. Do you think that there's been a bit of a change now with the Overwatch World League that maybe people are there to follow the teams and not just there solely for the game. Do you think that's a bit of a struggle? And I'm wondering if that's something you've seen as well in, in other countries such as the US. For the Overwatch League, I mean, I think, um, and this is something that we kind of talk about and discuss a lot. Like, um, there's, of course, your team brand, right? Um, there's the overall team that you need to brand and market and push um, and build and grow. Then you have personality. You know, the personalities on your team um, that you need to focus on and build up and grow yourself. Mm-hmm. Depending on what you're looking for and what your actual motives are, um, you decide on which one needs to come before the other. Right? Uh, and, and so it depends on your brand. You'll see certain teams like, say, for instance, uh, you see uh, Team Liquid, right? They, they have some very pol- polarizing players on their team, right? But if that player leaves team liquid is still team liquid mm. um you don't lose that fan base because uh double lift left right uh you you still have team liquid you still you might lose a few but you still have a strong following as yourself and who you are then you have you know teams that are very strong and focused on a personality so instance um 100 thieves right if nation decided for some reason which he would never do but if you ever decided, hey, I'm going to leave 100 Thieves, um, definitely believe the following will go with him um, in that sense, mm. right? Uh, and and with some of these other brands, they need to understand, like, you need to figure out ways to keep your brand very strong and growing um, while also picking up the personalities with you. But uh, for me, you know, with, especially with a lot of these teams, you shouldn't have a personality to find your brand. 
um, because you don't want it to be in a situation where, uh, you know, think about the NBA and stuff like that, where you hear about LeBron James going to another team and then everybody who was a Cleveland's fan is now an L.A. fan or, <laughs> you know, switching flip-flopping from there. Um, you still have to be able to build your brand, and that's where it comes out to creating that story. And so for uh, the Overwatch League, I mean, some teams are doing that. Some teams are are smart about building that brand. I think in that situation, I think most teams are pretty good at making it about their team more so than the personalities. Um, and that's where the balance needs to go. You have to have a good balance of uh, team growth as well as personal growth because you want people to want to come to your team because they know that you'll take care of them as a brand themselves. Yeah. Um, you're not always going to keep the same players. But you need people to want to come to your team and be like, if I come to this team, like they're going to build my following. They're going to build my growth. They're going to take care of me. Um, and then the team also has to be on the other side of things as I want to pick up this player because this player will bring in their following and their fan base, their growth. Um, but I also need to make sure that once they decide to retire or leave, um, that doesn't go with them. And in Overwatch League, some uh, very few teams get that or have got that. Um, other teams are still growing. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest scary thing for most teams, I think, in any league franchise is financial. Mm. <laughs> you know, like paying their players, yeah. paying for the, paying for their slot, paying for their their merch and their travel and all that stuff, and then making sure that they're still running and lasting and still making a profit somewhere somehow in sponsorship and fan uh, purchases. I think that's more so of the the situation and the worry than uh, the teams right now and the players, but they they have to figure out that good balance. Yeah, and it's a discussion we've had once before on the podcast that um, I didn't think of talking about today, and I'm really glad you brought it up, which is do people follow the players or do they follow the teams? And even to add in the third, I guess now I'm trying to think is do they follow the game? And I think I've seen in the past, you know, people are going yeah. to things just because it's Fortnite just because it's Overwatch. And now it's always that thinking too, you know, do they follow the team or do they follow the game? Like me personally, I've liked Fnatic since I was a kid, since their CS 1.6 team was dominant when I was in high school and Counter-Strike was always a cool game to me. Um, but, you know, I don't necessarily follow them a whole lot, whereas in Counter-Strike normally I'd follow the Golden Five, the guys from Poland, and ever since I started watching them, they're in Virtus Pro, they're in ESCIC Box, they're in one or two other teams again, as well as a team they're in throughout that time. And, you know, I didn't really care what organization they're in. I was just always going to follow around Neo and and um, and Pasha and the crew, no matter who they were playing for. I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts about that. Like, I understand that you'd started to touch on it, saying that it's important for the players to build their own personal branding. But, you know, what, what do you see in this space? Uh, so for me, hmm, I would say, kind of going back to some things, at least my previous, when I first started um, kind of jumping into the fighting game community, um, I was really strong with uh, watching EG, of course. Um, mm-hmm. In the fighting game community, they had a strong, uh, like, you know, Justin Wong, K Brad, uh, and a lot of them, Ricky, et cetera, um, all of them on the team. It was really great to kind of watch them. And you know, you wanted to kind of watch when you were looking at them. And then later, um, when EG started to kind of switch off on players and stuff. I stopped watching as much um, and watching EG. Mm. I, would say, as much. I was following the players and finding other players. Um, and I would say, yeah, I mean, 
that's kind of how it, it has been. Um, again, there's teams that are starting to learn and grow and pick that up. Um, as far as people watching the game compared to the players or the team, uh, I think I think it's dependent on the game for sure, right? Um, I think for I mean Overwatch League, I think uh, they did very well. The people who liked Overwatch watched Overwatch League, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's what their goal was. That's the reason why um, the Overwatch League does have a pretty solid, um, a pretty good men to woman ratio, right? Um, in their actual stands, like their spectator fan base um, is is pretty diverse for the for the most part within it when it comes to uh, gender. Um, but other esports. I mean, yeah, I think some people will be in CSGO and then they'll watch CSGO and they're like, I love CSGO, so I'm, I'm watching pro players and trying to get pro tips um, as much. And I think that transitions them over to finding a team that they really love. Uh, like I said, similar to kind of what you were saying, like you love a certain team, but it is also playing a game that you really love. So mm-hmm. after player left that team, you was definitely focused on finding more potential people within that, that realm. Um, I think a good Something that'll be nice to see or interesting that we're interested in seeing is what happens with Call of Duty, mm. right? I'm assuming, and this is my assumption, is that with the new Call of Duty League, what they're focusing on isn't the hardcore demographic that's been following Call of Duty up to mm. now. I feel like they're very interested in trying to grab those fans of Call of Duty in general into watching a competitive esport with their favorite game. Mm. And that's because Call of Duty, no matter how you feel about it, has the largest following and always sells the most pretty much year-round, even though they come out every year, every other year, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They want to engage that fan base and get them to start watching Call of Duty uh, esports. And so that will be a good test to see if they are able to do that properly. Um, because I'm assuming, like I said, that they, they want to get more people, more numbers, more influence um, onto the eSport. And they know that in order to do so, they'll have to reach outside of their hardcore group. Um, so th- that would be a good team for you if you want to or a good uh, experiment <laughs> to see how that works um, in that aspect of do people actually watch eSports for their favorite game? Or is it only the hardcore that, that care about their favorite player? Um, or and the team that they're on, mm. and and I guess a lot of it's the positioning that changes per game, right? Like if you're just a right. player playing for Team Australia in the Overwatch World League, the fans aren't really told who you are at all. You're just Team Australia, and they're following you because they're they're also born or living in Australia, and that's the only reason. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Fortnite, you know, there's been a lot of discussion recently that I agree with that that Epic has shown they don't really care about esports teams at all. They care about the players no. and they care about Fortnite as the game. So they've they've made it quite clear to teams that hey we're not really supporting you so you can stick around if you want but you know you you you're not really going to get that support compared to say ESL with um with Dota two or CS:GO depending if it's ESL or anyone else it's very much about the teams it's about the team Liquid it's about the OG um, it's about these kind of people and some of the players shine through but maybe that's different as well in Dota because a lot of the players aren't personalities in their own right. They don't stream. They don't tweet. If you look at Team IG, there's only one player on there that tweets more than once a fortnight, which is No-Tail. You know, the rest of the guys, say like Arna, the Aussie, he, he maybe tweets once every month, once every two months. So he's not available. 
you know, people do follow him because yeah. he's very good. So I think you're right. I'm I'm really interested to see because I mean, even if you look at the numbers, the easiest thing, the easiest and most obvious thing to look at with COD World League is okay, they're charging what thirty mil for a franchise spot USD, and then you look at the viewership and you say, okay, the Call of Duty World League viewership 2019, two million dollars prize pool, peaked at 189,000 concurrent viewers. Not great compared to a $250,000 CSGO tournament that will get that, of which there are four a year or more, like like the Intel Extreme Masters. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the COD World League playoffs, 81,000 peak. Um, you know, you compare that to a mobile game or to Smash, like we were talking about before, which is in the mid-200s, for $30,000 prize pool. So are you throwing money yeah. against the wall? You know, you're also getting Call of Duty World League. You've also got the backing of... You know, the Faze Instagram account with 7 million followers that are making posts about it for people to go watch their team play. Right. You've got the Optic accounts, you know, with hundreds of thousands of followers. You've got the players themselves with thirty to 160,000, um, you know, the big names like Scump and these kind of guys in that scene that are all tweeting about it too, saying, hey, come watch me on stream. Yet they're still polling that. Mm-hmm. So the first initial thing for me is, wow, 30 million bucks for that many viewers? Don't really see the math check out. But I think like what you were saying, it makes 100% sense to me because everybody plays COD. Everybody's played it in the past. It's like NBA 2K. You know, people buy it every year. And often you ask them, why are you buying the new one? They go, I don't know. It's just a new one that come out. My mate bought it. I bought it. And I play it. You know, FIFA. Why are you buying the new one? I don't know, because it's the new one. (laughs) And and that's what you get a lot with COD too. You know, for better or for worse, it's it's a churn game that people buy because they want the latest one. They play it. They have a bit of fun. So like with FIFA esports, how can you convert that massive amount of people, more people playing than most other games that are pure esports? How can you convert? How can you push that number percentage from 0.1% of all gamers in this title of esports fans? How can you push that to 0.2% and suddenly you've got, you know, the biggest PC or console esport? Mm-hmm. And also something that you brought up too that we talked about internally Um it, it is interesting. It, it does come down to the developer, right? Or the publisher. Mm. You have Valve, right? Um, so you bring up CSGO and Dota, but you also talk about how those tournaments really focus on the teams, right? And that's because Valve, as much they're interested, but they don't really do too much. They don't put their hands into it too much. They let people um, make the tournaments, do the tournaments and kind of run with it as long yeah. as within certain parameters, right? Um, and they, the people that work on those tournaments are like the ESLs, right? Um, where their biggest focus is viewership, right? That's where they make their money, right? Getting viewership for the tournaments and the events. Whereas you have a, um, let's say League of Legends or Overwatch League, right? Um, even though they have teams and they are focused on, um, you know, building a league with these these uh, teams on their actual roster. Um, they really care about the personalities um, more so than the actual teams. Uh, but their focus is sales, right? Their idea is we're very involved because we want to sell this game. We want to push this game out. So they'll do more so what they need to do in order to make sure that the sales of the overall game is moving and pushing mm. um, more so than what you'll see with Valve titles and ESL running it is they want viewership, right? They're going to focus more on the players and bringing out their story more because they need to make sure that when you watch their broadcast, they get the most viewership in order to get the most money back. Um, and, and you, you notice that or you, you start to notice that and see that, 
uh, with certain things that they do and the ways that they promote um, and, and push, um, again, the narrative of the teams, the players, the league, et cetera, um, in their game. Mm-hmm. So tell me tell me more about yourself and, and what you guys are focusing on at AOE, and I'd love to learn about a bit of a case study in regards to what you've done in the past. Yeah, so AOE Creative. Um, so originally, pretty much half of the team here, uh, we used to work at Infinite Esports and Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, that team uh, was basically there to work on ooh, 10 different brands under the same umbrella, all pushing at the same time. And it was uh, very interesting, very fun, a lot to learn, right? <laughs> Where the Texas Rangers came in and uh, bought Optic Gaming, um, as well as a League of Legends spot, as well as an old Overwatch League spot. Um, and I was the creative director and my business partner was a VP of marketing. We had a, a team. Uh, of about I think it was like ten uh, below us, um, doing the marketing and creative side of things, and with that, I mean, we like I said there was ten other businesses in there. We we started and kickstarted a whole bunch of different companies. While we was there, you know, worked on the Houston Outlaws. Uh, like I said, built that brand from scratch with the Overwatch League. Uh, pushed it, promoted it, created the uh, first block party uh, for an esports team. Did the first player tour in multiple cities. Um, with the players uh, for signing, uh, also did a pop up shop where you know we sold out our the the custom jerseys we created immediately. Um, it was fun and interesting. It was is one of definitely one of my my favorite and most proud projects that I've worked on uh, with the team that I had, which is amazing. Um, and from there again worked on Optic Gaming, um, got the opportunity again to take this this huge amazing uh, legacy brand. Um, and give it an opportunity to shine. Like there was when, I mean, of course, everybody knows kind of the, the, the stuff that was going down in Infinite and, uh, the things that were the, the back and forth with the, the people up top. Mm. Uh, but we just do what we could on our end, um, <laughs> to build, um, a great brand. And, and by the end of it, before, uh, a lot of stuff ended at the opportunity, um, like I said, to work with Hector because at first because of the the issue there was a lot of back and forth we wouldn't given an opportunity to work with him properly mm-hmm. and when we did he was able to do the spec ops activation that we did at the Call of Duty World uh, League uh, finals and which was very very interesting and fun like we had a booth there at that actual space we was the only team which I also think that esports teams fail to do is activate within the actual events that they're going to but we um, had our own booth and we did a whole, I wouldn't say rebrand, but reapproach to the brand. Um, we went back to the the roots of what made people optic fans, which was the old school Call of Duty sniper montage. So we did the campaign, which is similar to Spec Ops with the uh, power, precision, prestige idea, um, where we had a booth at, at the venue. And in that booth, um, we had a huge crate. And in that crate, we had $2,000 worth of merch and equipment that we were giving out to fans um, with a lock on it with four digits. And the goal was everyone um, had the opportunity that weekend to pretty much do a scavenger hunt. They had to find a number um, within the announcement video, a number on the website, a number at the actual uh, space. And then the last number was in a um, VIP care package that uh, we were giving out when our players 
we're doing the signing at the scuff booth. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the opportunity of getting a booklet out, and in that booklet, there was another number. Um, and what was different about that is when you think about events and stuff like that, you know, you think you go to an event, you see pretty much the same booths pretty much there. Um, you'll see like, especially at a Call of Duty event, you see G Fuel, giving out G Fuel, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, all right, cool, that's what they do. And then you'll see like Scuff and Turtle Beach and, and PlayStation and um, a couple other uh, vendors there and they all have Call of Duty running, mm-hmm. right? Like, you can play Call of Duty. It's like, well, I play Call of Duty at home, right? I'm not here to play. I mean, yes, I'll play because I'm here, but that's nothing really interesting and different. Um, at that same time, Optic Gaming um, didn't make it to the actual finals to where they actually made it to the arena. So we were in a situation where it was like, all right, what do we do? But we still had our venue and our booth. And at that booth, we had two PCs there where we created the first ever uh, VR space for a team um, where you can go in and hang out with friends VR-wise while watching the live stream of the event or any other content that Optic Gaming had. And so um, we had the booth there and people were allowed to do VR all day while working on the scavenger hunt. And then Sunday had the opportunity of opening this, uh, having a chance to open this box with the codes that they found or the numbers that they found. Um, and our booth stayed busy the entire weekend, right? Um, because we were doing stuff to give back to the fans and show some activation and love and support for the people um, that even love Optigaming, even though they, they didn't make it at that time. Um, and so again, working with that in infinite was, is, it was cool. And we noticed that while we were doing all these activations and creating all these special moments, um, that people saw, we ended up getting like a award at the Tempest Awards for the activations we were doing with the Houston Outlaws. People started noticing, um, us and our team. Um, so pretty much at the tail end of infinite, we were already beforehand planning on what would we look like if we branched out and created our own business. Um, where we were helping esports teams activate properly within this space and do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so AOE creative. Um, and as most gamers know, AOE is area of effect. Um, and our whole idea of that was, you know, we'll help you build your brand, um, define your brand, create all the assets that you need for your brand. And then when you're ready to uh, release it to the world, that it has a wide uh, international uh, area of effect where it reaches out to more people. Um, and that was the idea of AOE creative. Um, and so we built that with the team that we had at infinite and we've been growing from there. And, and since then we've been working with the, the largest esports teams, um, as well as, uh, a few publishers, um, and even some non-endemic to gaming and esports. Um, so we're still building and still growing and it's been an amazing year and next year looks to be even more exciting as we work with these different brands and we want to, uh, focus on being very boutique. We don't want to be a huge, uh, large, large agency with like thousands of employees. Uh, we, we want to keep it small and intimate that way the people that work with us, we work with the people that we want to work with and we give them the best of our abilities and we work hardcore on their brand and making sure that we uh, tell their story the proper way, the way that they want it to be seen to the public. And as, as the, the brand continues to grow, what are some of the main metrics that you're tracking? Um, is it, for example, engagement rates? Is it 
following across multiple social medias? Is it, you know, bums on seats, how many people we can get live? What, what are some of the most important things to you to track that growth? Um, well, for us, it, it definitely depends on the client, right? All clients have different reasons and things that they want to achieve. Um, for esports teams, especially the ones that are already established, um, it's not as much as uh, growing more of that fan base, even though, of course, they want to always grow and get more numbers. It's more about activating that community and making it much stronger. Um, again, the, the, the biggest form of marketing and stuff is word of mouth. And the more people that you activate and show that you actually care, the more they want to talk about you to their friends and family and to anybody else curious about your brand. So for established teams, it's definitely about uh, building that story and, and building what makes that team who they are. Uh, for new teams or new businesses within the, the scene, um, it's definitely about growth, uh, but it's still growth within building your story. Um, so we definitely want to focus on making sure that you get to speak, especially for, let's say, non-endemics, mm. right? Uh, endemic uh, sponsors that want to get within the space. We want to make sure that their story is heard properly. Um, the biggest problem with non-endemics or people who don't fully know esports is they jump into esports and they think that uh, if we throw money, um, people will come. Mm. And that's not how it works. Uh, because the gaming community has, we say the gaming community has a high bullshit meter, mm. um, but it's not even a high bullshit meter. It's really legit. They just think you're bullshit until you give them a reason otherwise, right? <laughs> Out the gate, um, gamers are already skeptical. Um, so our biggest thing, especially with non-endemics, is to go ahead and tell the story of the brand and explain to gamers or the community that they've already been there for them, right? That our product has already been around you while you've been gaming, right? Uh, that we are a uh, part of your life from, you know, the beginning. We just don't ever really get to say it. And now we want to show you that we've been there to support you. Um, and it's that type of narrative and that type of story that makes uh, people understand exactly what you want to do and reach within the community besides this blanket throwing money and saying, hey, yo, we threw money like us, like, no, that's that's not how it works here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You, you're right. It's it's all about positioning in the end, isn't it? And and I feel like it goes both ways. You know, trying to bring a new brand into the space as well, um, using very similar terminology to what you were saying is that it's it's always been around you. And the fact that you know when I talk to a new brand and just say, look, just just draw comparisons between the marketing you're currently doing and the gaming marketing. You work with you know fitness Instagrammers. Well, guess what? There's big Instagrammers in the gaming space as well. So use the same metrics of measurement, use the same CPM. It's just a slightly different audience, even within the same age demographic. Um, you know, you sponsor a sports team, why not sponsor an esports team? League for league, you know, content for content, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then ultimately, a lot of it comes down to the positioning, whether you're Dr. Pepper and you make a lot of fun of yourself, um, or, you know, whether you take the more serious route like uh, Mercedes and, and pull up the heartstrings, for example, with their awesome advertisements. Yeah, and no, I, I definitely have to agree. And I mean, that's the thing that we love. Um, our tagline at AOE Creative is there to disrupt. Um, a lot of these teams, especially again, when you speak to all these top teams, they, they complain about uh, not being able to really express themselves or or be able to showcase who they are because they're afraid of you know, making too big of changes because they've already made and solidified their brand, right? And to come out and do something drastic 
they're afraid that they can lose their, their, their fan base. But we always encourage a lot of different teams. Like sometimes you have to disrupt that st- status quo, right? You have to do something different um, to make yourself stand out or you got to do something that, that is unique and interesting in, in your space. Um, and you see that with, you know, Team Liquid doing the whole Marvel piece mm. was amazing push, right? It, it's one, it speaks to that demographic a hundred percent. Um, it, it's showcasing, you know, again, gamers love Marvel and love the superhero aspect of things and mixing that together was, uh, a great collaboration. Or you see a hundred thieves come in and say, Hey, we're just going to focus really hardcore on being a streetwear brand or a brand that's really focused on, um, you know, content and, and doing us and having a good time. Mm-hmm. And people gravitate toward that. The problem is most esports teams, after they see that, they decide, oh, well, we should be doing streetwear. Oh, we should be like, no, that's not your brand. <laughs> yeah. And you should understand it's not your brand and, and that's not your lane. Um, you need to create your own lane and you need to create your own movement and then have people trying to follow you. Mm. So I'm, let, let's say I'm a, I'm a small esports team. Um, sitting in the tier two or tier three, and I want to start growing bigger and getting fans. What what do I start thinking about from the get go in regards to branding? So for us, um, the thing that we like to do, especially with with brands that um, aren't well established or in the process of building their new brand from scratch, um, creative brief. Something that a, a lot of teams, even the top tier esports team, which is it, it may seem surprising to some, haven't thought about the whole creative brief of their brand. Like, what is your brand? Why is it this? Why did you choose that name? Um, going through a whole list of, you know, what are your bears to buy in? You know, what is your audience? What exactly is your audience? Not just the general um, gamer, you know, 18 to 34, blah, 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 the stuff that you hear day-to-day esports 101. No, what is your exact target audience? Who are you trying to speak to? All right. Once you figure out who that is, then what makes you different and unique to any other team within the space? What's going to stand you out? What is it that you're going to do to make uh, everyone else in your fan base understand that you are unique, win or lose, that you are the the best of the best and I want to represent you? Um, And kind of going into that, like it's it's been a lot of times where we do these brand exercises with different brands. And you have the decision makers of the company there and you start asking these, these really tough questions and you start noticing that a lot of them have different answers. Um, because they don't know, they all have different ideas of where their brand, what their brand is mm-hmm. and what they perceive the audience thinks their brand is. Mm-hmm. And you see that disconnect. Like if you cannot tell if everybody in your team, especially in the higher ups part of your team, can't say exactly what your team is for burning like the same. You have an issue, right? Because you are the main person um, expressing that to everybody that comes to your team, that every new employee that works with your team or, or company or business, um, everybody should be preaching the same thing, right? And once you get to the point where um, one person thinks differently and you think some completely opposite of it, then how do you think your fan base perceives your brand as well? Um, and that's that's one of the first things. Of course, winning is very important. Um, uh, I mean, you want to make sure you pick players that is going to allow you to win. It gives you the opportunity to showcase your brand more. But building something that's so unique, even if you lose, 
you still have a strong following is very beneficial and crucial because eventually one day you'll be the winning team and then it'll just grow from there. I mean, the stuff we did with the Houston Outlaws, that team made seventh out of tenth season one when we worked with them. Yet they still were the top three teams when it came to fan base mm. um, because of the the activations and the community build and the following and the things that we did behind the scenes, not only with the players, you know, doing their best on stage as well, that made them stand out and be unique. Um, and that's the thing that we like to tell teams is what is going to make you different, right? You, you have to, you can't come out here trying to be C9. You can't come out here trying to be a hundred thieves. You're not them. And it's okay to not be them, but you need to figure out who you are and you need to be that person. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that's great advice. I think, you know, a lot of the time when I talk to these, these small teams that, that want to start, um, you know, I ask them, how do you want to be positioned in the market? You know, a, a phase, for example, is, you know, you could say 10% esports, 90% cool influencer rappers, whereas 100 Thieves, like you identified, is is streetwear and supreme and cool clothes. You know, Team Liquid yeah. and Cloud9 are kind of similar. You know, they're the real esports, esports teams. Um, yeah. And, you know, say, where do you want to sit around that? And obviously, like you were explaining with Houston Outlaws as well, you know, they're a team that's about... Houston, it's about pride of, of the local state and where you are. So just identifying Correct. who you're going to be. And, and I feel like that goes not only for teams, but for influencers as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's like I said, it's it's a conversation we have a lot. And it's, it's so surprising, like I said, hearing everyone kind of say the same thing. And um, it's it's the first process that you do. And then after you do that process, then it's, making sure that all of that transitions through everything you do moving forward. And speaking of which, um, I don't know if you saw the evil geniuses brand. I think, I think what they're doing is something that I think thought that they should have been doing for a long time. Um, and embrace the whole evil genius mm. part of it. Right? Um, right now they're trying to run with their campaign, live evil. And I hope to see it actually flourish. Like they should be pushing hardcore to be the Wendy's of esports. They're going to do that. Um, they can't just dip their toe in it. They're going to have to go all into it and do it, do it right and do it proper. Um, and I think they have an opportunity to do that because think about it. Who else is the, who else is the open bad guy in esports? You know, there's nobody really outside of the people that win all the time, right? <laughs> that people just don't want to see win, but someone who embraces that aspect of it and, and decides that this is what our team is going to be and we're going to have fun, but we're also going to talk mess and, and get a little, you know, uh, trash talk to one another. Uh, that's fine. And I'm interested to see if they take that a lot further because they can take that many avenues as well. Mm. Yeah. Nice. No, some good points. So what's, um, what, what's coming up next for, for AOE and what kind of clients are you looking for at the moment? Uh, for AOE, man, it was. <laughs> 2020 is going to be uh, a crazy fun year. Um, there's definitely a lot of projects that we can't talk about right now. Um, but I mean, I, I can say that we are in talks of working um, with one of the large publishers as well as working with an up and coming uh, publisher as well. Um, and working with still teams. There's uh, a few projects that we want to be able to get out and hope that some of these teams take on. Uh, some of them are, again, trying to figure out if they want to 
redefine themselves or build something separate of their main brand to kind of reach out and be having those conversations, which is very interesting and definitely looking forward to doing more with them. Um, there's a, a few teams, like I said, there's a few businesses uh, within the space that want to work on creating more things for esports, especially at the collegiate high school level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like I said, since we started, we haven't stopped. <laughs> like as soon as we broke away and started and announced AOE as a company, we had three clients. And since then is hasn't slowed down at all. And it's amazing feeling and it's, it's great. And, you know, I live to, to, do graphic design and branding and marketing while my, my, my teammate teammate is definitely focused on like doing the creative ideas, strategy and marketing side of things. And uh, we work well with one another as well as the entire team here. And of course we just looking to continue to do that, put esports in, on a higher pedestal um, and, and watch it to continue to grow. Um, and it's, it's been amazing to be a part of that movement. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know the the work you guys are doing. I, I feel is quite important. It's uh, trying to think about the best way to explain it, um, and, and trying to talk to people about this recently. And something that I've experienced a lot is that teams right now are struggling to pay for. I think what they would classify as a non essential service. So in their eyes, a lot of the time, the team's essential service is say a team house, flights and accommodation to events, buyouts, salaries for their players. Um, and sometimes they classify essential service as, you know, especially in the Overwatch League sense as a chef, um, you know, cleaners, et cetera, et cetera, right? But when you start yeah. then talking about extravagant sales teams, um, creatives, um, production teams, um, you know, assistance for which and, and also your kind of services, I think that's when it starts to become hard to explain to these teams that they really need that um, because they're looking more at you know, their profit and loss, they're looking at their balance sheet right now and what they can sell against and not necessarily thinking like Phase and 100 Thieves of how can we create more content and pay more to create it and then sell against that with a large sales team. So it's awesome to see that, you know, more people are taking your line of work seriously as as they should um, and, you know, moving into that branding space and building their, their brand as a legacy. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely educational, right? Mm. Every time we speak... Line, even those brands that understand that they need branding, they're still afraid to take that jump or they feel that, hey, you know, maybe I don't feel like paying for that right now. And I mean, you hit it right on the nail. Like I got players to, to, to pay their salaries. I got to take them out to events and, and do et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's great that a lot of teams are starting to understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly is because the influx of money that's coming in and teams understanding that they have to focus on that now uh, again being mediocre within this space is going to get you left behind uh, the teams that will do well are the ones that understand their brand understand how to build on top of that and, and work on their fan base um, and understand that they have to be able to market and promote uh, properly if they want to continue to rise and be relevant within the space um, so it's good to kind of see that like I said we work with esports teams but we also work with a lot around esports and gaming. Uh, we don't want to just focus on teams uh, because there's definitely opportunities outside of that. And like I said, one of the stuff that we're very interested in doing is working with non-endemics that want to get within the space, um, that understand that they want to do it properly. Um, and that's what we're here for, to help out and give them an idea of how that community works and the best ways to implement their brand. 
space. Fantastic, mate. Well, if if someone's to connect with you and maybe use your services, where can they find you online? Uh, so definitely message um, AOE Creative uh, our, on our Twitter as well as you know Instagram, our website aoecreative.com. Uh, um, and then you can catch me at Markel underscore Lee on Twitter or find me on any of the other social networks. And if there's any any up and coming brands that you are or aren't working with that you think are doing fantastic work in in the branding department, is there anyone you think that that people should follow for some inspiration? Uh, I mean, I, I definitely think there's the, the top esports teams are starting to get in and understand it. Like I said, I, I do really like uh, the stuff that Liquid did this year, uh, especially when it comes to a lot of the activations. Um, I still think uh, 100 Thieves is pretty smart as well about the way that they brand and market themselves within the space. I am very interested in seeing what they do moving forward after they get past the initial hype um, that they have. Uh, but again, those those are the two teams um, off the bat that I'll say are, are really doing some interesting things in the space. There are more for sure. Uh, but I'm not, don't want to hold you longer and, and name <laughs> it off each, what they're doing. <laughs> they can find on your Twitter for sure. <laughs> sure. And uh, if someone wants to, to follow you personally, where, where can they do so? Where's the best place? Yeah, so I said Markel underscore Lee, so M-A-R-K-E-L underscore Lee, L-E-E, on Twitter. Um, and you can probably catch me as well on LinkedIn with Markel Lee. Um, and being very receptive, we got a lot of different projects going on, but we like to talk and reach out to anybody that's interested. Um, even some of the colleges already went to a college last week. Uh, to kind of speak about gaming, esports, and businesses within the industry. Um, so definitely just message me, hit me up, let me know, and, you know, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Fantastic, Michael. Thanks thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, Chris. And thank you for listening to the Big Esports Podcast. For the show notes for anything we've talked about today or any of our other episodes or to follow us online, you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash podcasts. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 